Welcome, everybody, back to the Lawson Creamer Legal Coaching Podcast. We are once again joining you from an appropriate social distance. Uh, this podcast studio being uh, a virtual one, and I'm joined by my friend and partner, Kelly Van Buskirk. Kelly? Yes, Mel. Beautiful day in New it, Brunswick. It is. But COVID still the topic for many people. That's right. Certainly um, in the employment sector, COVID is um, a big topic because, of course, what we know now is that uh, many elements of the economy have been restarted. And as a result of that, employers have been looking to uh, have their employees return to work, which hasn't always been an easy task. Right. And what we were hoping to try to do on today's episode is to share with um, with you, our, our listeners, the real life examples of workplace situations dealing with return to work, returning to the new normal, as it's been called, and really helping to get the economy going again. But the kinds of workplace issues that employers are encountering and trying to provide the clearest answers we can as to what you as an employer can and and should do, uh, depending on the situation that that you're faced with. And probably fair to say that we wouldn't be able to touch on, on every conceivable type of situation because there are so many and there are so many different employers in different workplaces. But We've had the very good fortune of many employers entrusting us with requests for advice and and helping to develop solutions unique to all kinds of sectors, from the retail sector to food and beverage sector to accommodations, really a whole a whole variety of businesses. And so what we would like to do is is kind of go through some of those scenarios. Obviously, for confidentiality and privacy reasons, we're not going to talk about specific clients or provide identifying information. But we hope anyway that you, the listener, will appreciate um, how these answers and these scenarios might apply to your own uh, workplaces and to your own employees and the and the people that, that you're managing on a day-to-day basis. Does that sound accurate, Kelly? Yeah, I think so, Mel. And, you know, really what we're faced with today is something that bears a tiny resemblance to the circumstances that were faced in the year 1350 when uh, England was trying to restart its economy after the Black Plague. And and it was at that time that the King of England implemented the Statute of Laborers, which unlike uh, the labor and employment legislation that we are familiar with today was actually legislation that uh, favored employers and was intended to force able workers to return to work. And the statute of laborers actually prevented employees from requesting or receiving more than a basic maximum amount of pay. So today we talk about the minimum pay that you're, in t- you know, that you have to receive as a worker. But in 1351, Uh, the King of England was imposing a maximum that you could receive. And that was so that uh, workers not only had to return to work, but couldn't demand more uh, income than what had been earned prior to the plague striking. And I thought that that has some relevance when 
I read this article in the Wall Street Journal, which uh, speaks about the fact that in the in the U.S., this very issue is arising, where employees are receiving basically government payouts that meet or exceed what the employees are used to earning. And consequently, many employees are choosing not to go back to work. In that article, one worker, a woman named Tracy Jackson, who lives in Texas, was quoted as saying this. She had worked at a college in Texas before the COVID pandemic resulted in a shutdown of the college. Now she says, I like the college. I really do. But they're going to have to come up with more money. If they don't, I'm not going to be there. And the reason was that uh, she was actually receiving more money on government payouts than she was earning when she was working. And I think we see some similarities here in New Brunswick in some circumstances. We sure do. I maybe to kick things off. Here's the the first the first of a scenario, Kelly. That that um, well, it was an early early on in the return to work, and I, it was a, a CEO of of a, a cleaning service uh, organization, and they called to explain in part that they could not get their employees to come back to work for the exact reason that you've mentioned that you explained was happening in Texas or is happening in Texas. And currently the uh, the employees of this New Brunswick based company are getting that $2000 a month. It's more than uh, what they receive in their in their monthly pay from their employer. And and the question was what do you do? How do you get these people to come back to work who are saying, "You know what? I'm not coming back to work right now. I'm getting more money than what I would make with you anyway." What do you do in that situation, Kelly? Well, I think first the uh, employer would be well advised, in my view at least, to uh, make some inquiries as to why the individual isn't prepared to return to work. But if the sole reason is that that individual is receiving more income uh, through government benefits than would be earned in the workplace, then in my view, um, the employer should advise the employee that if they're intent is to continue to stay out of work, then they'll be dismissed. Yeah, I think so too. I think that employee, if they're not going to come back to work, they've, they've been, the request has been made. That's a fair request from the employer. Um, right. They have that ongoing relationship. They're still that employee-employer relationship. If they're not willing to honor what is a pretty reasonable request, come back, return to work, your employer needs you, then right. um, absent some, you know, human rights issue that that they uh, they raise or some something. I mean, I, I think the answer is they're no longer going to be working for that employer. The employer is going to give them notice and they're going to be fired if they don't, uh, and and rightly so, if they don't return to work. Right. And, and so let me ask you this, Mel, what do you think of a situation where an employee says to their employer, look, I've been out on a COVID-19 leave of absence and I want to keep my job, but I don't want to return to work right now. And the reason for that is because I live here in a home with a relative who has an immunity compromise. Yeah, I still, I still think almost the same answer, Kelly. I mean, I, that's a situation that, uh, look, I, I can be sympathetic to that. I can be sympathetic to that, that particular employee situation. 
but the reality is they can take steps to minimize their contact with that immunocompromised person in the in the home that immunocompromised person can take the same steps and i don't think it changes the right of the employer to ask that employee to return to work and i don't think it changes the obligation of that employee to return to work what do you think no, I think that's right. I think even in the medical field, there have been some articles written about this subject. In the United Kingdom, as an example, healthcare workers who are clearly exposed to the COVID-19 virus in ways that most workers would not be, those healthcare workers can't rely on every sort of immunity compromise as a, as a reason Uh, to not attend work. It's only a very specific and narrow list of conditions that would exempt them from returning to work. And so I think, to your point, people should understand that although we're all concerned about this illness, and we have to be, there is at the same time, a responsibility that comes with uh, having the benefit of employment. So in that circumstance, the individual likely has to return. Yeah. And, and, you know, I I noticed even um, kind of on that point during the real lockdown phase of the pandemic, healthcare workers in particular, some of them in those situations that you've described, I observed one of my neighbors, she was in that situation. She's a, a nurse for Horizon Health. And she made the choice because she has a, a, her partner is immunocompromised to rent an Airbnb apartment in a neighboring house so that she could minimize contact with her spouse, uh, with her partner. And those are some of the real personal implications of, of COVID-19. Um, yeah. But it didn't change, certainly in that situation, her obligation to, to uh, continue reporting to work and uh, providing help. What do you think of this situation, Kelly? So this is another call that, that I was involved in. And it's a restaurant. The uh, the restaurant learns that one of its frontline staff has a boyfriend. So it's a person removed. So it's it's one removed from the restaurant itself, but that 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 boyfriend is in the process of being tested for COVID nineteen, is experiencing some of the symptoms consistent with COVID nineteen. What does the restaurant do? Does the restaurant start picking up the phone and notifying its customers for the last week? Does it? start telling the employees about this? What does the restaurant do in that situation? Right. I think that there are some significant privacy issues that would be called into play in a scenario like that one. And it would be unwise for uh, the restaurateur to uh, begin spreading the word about uh, this individual's boyfriend's uh, illness. That that would be unwise. It seems to me that the more prudent approach would be to direct the employee to go uh, contact the health authority for a uh, screening and potential testing. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, in in um, certainly in New Brunswick, we have uh, a COVID screening hotline that's set up, uh, the eight one one number, so you can arrange to call that. You, there sometimes is a wait time, but you can call that and review with a, a healthcare professional uh, your situation. I think certainly that restaurant could direct that employee to make that call to 811. 
or could direct them to call their their family doctor if they have a family doctor and seek medical advice and you know in addition I, I think that that you could pending the outcome of the advice to 811 or the family doctor or the results of the boyfriend's covid test right um, keep the person out of work but i agree with you completely that they you know they shouldn't get into disclosing the situation to coworkers or the public at large or that would get them into i think quite a quite a pile of of additional problems apart from a potential <laughs> covid diagnosis no absolutely well let's take it a step further though what what if the employee uh, calls into the manager and says, look, I'm having symptoms mm-hmm. that are consistent with COVID. I have a fever of say 38.4. I've got a runny nose and a persistent cough. Now, what do you think of that, Mel? Well, I, I think that the employer should should direct that employee to first not report to work. So that, and that should be already in place. And if it isn't, make sure that you tell your employees, if you're experiencing symptoms, don't come into work. One, right. two, call your healthcare professional or call 811 to see if you should be screened. And your an 811 may direct you to continue to self-monitor for additional symptoms, or they may schedule you for a, a screening test. And right. your, your family doctor can do the same. If that employee doesn't do that, in my view, that's a that's a problem in the current situation. I think that's a pretty reasonable request for the employer to get a, an answer to that question. Sure. The worst case scenario currently is that person tests positive for right. COVID-19. And then, you know, that person is obviously out of the workplace until they're symptom free. Right. So if they refuse, mm-hmm. and we've seen this with some employment circumstances where an employee um, calls into the employer indicates that that employee is experiencing these COVID-like symptoms, receives the direction that you just described, but chooses not to pursue that, chooses not to get tested. What do you think of that? I, I think that's a problem for the employee. And I think the employer would have every uh, good reason to terminate that employees employment for not following that direction at this point in time. I, I was reading a case from uh, from Ontario the other day and the judge said in in response to this particular question around COVID-19, the best answer is it's 2020 <laughs> in in completely sort of changing how we do things. And it's 2020, we're in the middle of um, you know the 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 hopefully for the moment the worst is behind us. We may have a resurgence or there may be more peaks in this, but the economy is reopening. That's a pretty reasonable request. And if the employee is not going to follow that, then in my view, the employer is uh, is justified to, to fire that employee. Okay. Let's uh, consider another example, another true life example Ooh. where an before, employee- Before we leave that, can we, can we add one more layer of complexity to that example? Sure. What if- that employee was um, was delaying telling the employer about their symptoms and had been in the workplace exposing customers and or clientele to their symptoms for, say, two or three days. What should the employer consider doing at that point? Right. That's a more difficult uh, circumstance. And, you know, first, I anticipate that the 
governmental authority will conduct contact tracing mm-hmm. yeah. uh, to help with uh, the process of identifying additional risk factors. But right. from an employer perspective, there would be the need to first consider where the individual had been in the premises, perhaps, and uh, what you know equipment or what uh, office furniture was touched. Uh, that obviously has to be uh, cleaned and sanitized. What do you think about the other employees? What do you do about them? Yeah, I, I think to your point, you know, the Department of Public Safety in New Brunswick uh, in this pro- province can be contacted for specific advice. So uh, public safety and then probably the Department of Health would get involved on things like the contact tracing. There may be uh, There may be disciplinary issues that that employee should be subjected to as a result of hopefully by this point, every employer in New Brunswick has it as a rule, a new rule in the workplace that if you are experiencing symptoms, you don't report to work. And if you do report to work, that's going to be a problem for you. And so hopefully there's some disciplinary consequences for that employee. And then in respect of the, um, in respect of the coworkers, I think that's to your point, it gets into that intersection between privacy and and um, and really legitimate health concerns. So, I would get some advice from from the the public safety folks, from the health officials, and and probably what it ends up happening is whoever has been in close contact with with that other employee has to be informed of that, and probably you know ends up having to uh, either self monitor for symptoms or if they've got symptoms self isolate or potentially get tested. Right. Right. And we've seen, by the way, a couple of interesting cases here in this province where uh, people have entered the province from other locations, Mm. um, having then exposed individuals here to the virus via their previous exposures in other locations, uh, other provinces and countries. You know, there is a Uh, a recklessness element to that that has to be examined because from a legal perspective there will be lots of different considerations if it's if it's a co-worker that exposes another individual to the COVID virus in that way then likely that's a a workers compensation issue Uh, if it's not a co-worker uh, but some other you know individual then there could well be a negligence issue that would have to be considered from a legal perspective too. Yeah, no, I think it opens a a whole new realm of, um, you know, potential litigation. I mean, the, to your point on, on a person, on, on an employee, they may have contractual obligations around their behavior and what they should and shouldn't be doing and around complying with uh, the employer's rules. They may, I mean, they open themselves up in my view to being as a minimum, terminated as uh, and and possibly being being sued for damages they might uh, they might cause right one more mel how about this uh, a an employee contacts the employer to say look i have a problem and uh, the problem is that my spouse and i we both work um we have several school-aged children uh, the schools are closed Uh, So consequently, I can't come to work or I can come to work, but only part time uh, because we can't find childcare arrangements. Sure. I mean, this gets into in part the sympathy piece. I 
can appreciate the challenge of that. There's also uh, an element in the situation you've described that, you know, raises a potential human rights issue around family status. Right. And, and so I think the, you know, the, the right approach for that is first to ask the, the employee, have you exhausted all the childcare options? Um, right. Have you checked all the daycares are open again in New Brunswick? Childcare is open again. Students are looking for summer employment. You know, you can hire a private certified babysitter to take care of children. There are a whole variety of options. So I think in that situation, the general answer is where there's a will, there's a way. If that employee puts enough thought into it, they can get childcare and the same, the same obligations apply. They 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 have to come back to work or they open themselves up to, to termination. Right. So it may be that the moral of the story for employers and for employees is that although we are still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we have as a society taken significant measures to uh, assure the protection of individuals, including workers. And in many instances, employees can return to their workplaces with uh, confidence that they'll be Uh, kept safe. They have the opportunity to complain under the Occupational Health and Safety Act if, as an example, their employer is failing to follow the prescribed um, protocols for keeping um, employees safe from the COVID-19 virus. But in the vast majority of cases, people are going to have to return to work. There are some exceptions. As you mentioned, there's a family status exception that could apply, but not as easily as one might think. And secondly, there are some limited circumstances where employees who do have immune system compromises would uh, would at least have the right to seek accommodation from their employer in some form. That doesn't mean they won't be working. It doesn't mean they won't necessarily return to the workplace either, but that they would have some accommodation for that. And and I think it's useful for employees to keep this in mind. The um, labor force statistics generated by Statistics Canada and produced uh, recently for the month of April demonstrate that almost 6 million people in Canada uh, weren't working in April. And Statistics Canada makes the point that, look, in some instances, people will be hesitant to return to work in part based on psychological factors that have to do with their own attachment to the the career that they have. In other words, there might be a an issue uh, that is holding you back from returning to work that has less to do with the COVID-19 virus than you think. And it might be uh, instead something that relates to your own lack of attachment to your job. And that's a completely different story. But, you know, there's some good news uh, in all of this, too. And Adam Grant, who teaches at the uh, Wharton School of Business at the University of Penn, uh, wrote about this recently. And he pointed out that, um, you know, statistics tell us, too, that uh, individuals who obtain jobs in this environment, who obtain jobs in the midst of a recession or a pandemic, uh, they are going to be much more appreciative of their jobs uh, than uh, some other workers will be. And that appreciation is going to last for, uh, in many cases, 10 and even 15 years. So for employers, 
there's an opportunity here to really rebuild with invigorated, uh, loyal, and enthusiastic workers who are going to appreciate uh, having a job. And that appreciation is going to last for a long time. That's a great point, Kelly. That's a that's a great point. Well, I can't think of a better spot to end the uh, end this episode on than that informative and uplifting bit of information. And uh, certainly, we wish uh, all of the employers out there well and the employees uh, safe return to work and speedy return to the to the workplace. Normally, we're on Princess Street from those studios, but we're not. No, we're not. <laughs> from the uh, the virtual podcasting studio. Uh, and uh, thanks to our producers, Zach and uh, Don Hemmings. And this has been the latest episode of the Lawson Creamer Legal Coaching Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>